This is the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. PowerShell Podcast. A production of PDQ.com. Making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Jordan with super mega ultra star Andrew Plaw. He brings yeah. the, the high energy to my apathy. That's right. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. <laughs> All right. So, I don't know. I guess it feels like we haven't done this in like two weeks because we haven't. But yeah, what, what's uh, been going on in PowerShell? A lot, man. A lot. There's some cool new issues on the GitHub. Some great new stuff, man. Community's been popping. PowerShell Weekly. PSWeekly.dallas.dev. It's got the hookup. All right, and this will be way too late for those watching now. Hopefully, you attended Andrew's uh, meetup. It, it went spectacular. I'm looking at oh, the future there. Thanks, Doug. You did great, man. <laughs> All right, uh, so today we have special guest David Das Nevis, who has yeah. hello. Hey. <laughs> so looking through your background, you've got all of the security. And that's just the start. You've done so much more. So why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me um, uh, here today as one exclusion. Um, it's already 10, 10 p.m. So um, uh, please apologies or bear with, uh, bear with me if I'm a little bit um, already um, sleepy, uh, but I will give my best. <laughs> um, so I'm David. I'm living close to Munich. Um, and uh, in the last 15 years, I've been running a couple of large uh, in large companies um, in IT. Um, I started off as a uh, developer, moved then on um, to um, some larger companies, which we can also um, have a look at into dev. And then very recently, um, I started um, my own company. Um, technically, um, I've always been into .NET and PowerShell. Um, I've been moving a lot into cybersecurity, um, incident response, unfortunately, to, to say. Um, um, and um, very recently also um, doing a lot of strategic, strategic parts. So I'm um, guiding customers into the digital transformation area and um, providing them the help. Okay, what is the next step? What are the best next steps to move into, into cloud? How can cloud be adopted properly? Uh, what are What is actually the value of IT? Um, so this is one of the very first questions in many companies. Yeah, this is this is what we are doing nowadays. Wow. Yeah, yeah uh, that's that's putting it lightly. I've known of you for quite a while. You had a pretty big impact on the PowerShell community, and it's been really awesome to watch your journey. Um, I think you were actually recommended uh, for a guest for the podcast by Christian Ritter because he was just so impressed with what you've done with your career and, and the insights and how PowerShell played a role in that. Um, so how did PowerShell play a role in where you are now? Because um, it seems like it was a pretty big focus of yours for quite a while. Yes, yes, it was. And actually, I'm still in love with PowerShell. It's uh, still fantastic. Um, uh, very interesting to say, um, I jumped um, very late into PowerShell. So I had like a, a very steep learning curve. Um, first of all, I was a developer, .NET developer. I learned uh, VB.NET. Um, and C sharp uh, and jumped into this area. Then I moved into consultancy, and in consultancy, um, I directly jumped into all of the automation stuff. So I, I always explain to the people, "Hey guys, I'm a developer. Um, I don't know what you are doing there in front in front of the GUI. Um, I don't like it. Um, this can be easily automated. Um, let me just have a look at it, um, and I will do it for you in a second." Um, and um, the very first, um, I would say huge benefit from PowerShell I had in a support desk. So I was uh, working in uh, the support desk for a large automobile company in Ingolstadt. Um, and this was an escalation support and we were um, receiving all the tickets which no one was able to use. Um, and um, we investigated um, the issues, we tried to identify patterns, and then we started writing scripts simple scripts. At the very beginning, it was batch scripting. Then we moved on to PowerShell scripting. I learned PowerShell. Um, honestly saying, um, it was quite easy to learn um, as, a, as a former developer. The only um, thing which I was struggling with uh, was the pipe. 
Um, this is very unusual uh, for developers. Uh, it doesn't feel uh, uh, very um, um, uh, in intuitive, let's say. Um, but after a time, um, it was very easy to understand um, uh, diverse coding, um, large um, scripts. Um, and very funny story, um, the more time we scripted um, automational scripts um, in the support test, the more time we had to investigate the issues and the more time we had to improve our scripts. At the very end, um, after I would say uh, six months, we already had an SLA improvement over 2000%. So at the very beginning, we were like 12 people totally crazily overworked um, and uh, we didn't know how to handle all of the tickets. And uh, when I left, um, I think it was like eight, nine months, uh, eight, nine months later, um, we were playing ping pong the whole time. Um, and this was like our first um, funny story. Okay, this is the value of PowerShell. This is the value of automation. Um, and then I started um, very simple. I started blogging. I started uh, going to conferences, to meetups. Um, and um, things just started to evolve. And this is also the recommendation I can give to the audience. Um, if you want to accomplish something, if you want to gain reputation, if you want to thrive to be one of the best in something, then just work in the field. Uh, work on the field, start blogging, start speaking, start connecting to speakers. This is the easiest way. Um, and um, um, very shortly afterward, I jumped into consultancy. I moved on to Computer Center, which is a, a large cons cons consulting company in Germany. Um, and then I, I received the invitation from Microsoft. Um, and uh, at that point in time, so I, what I need to say for myself, I'm a typical Microsoft guy. I've been growing up um, uh, with Microsoft since I was 10 or something. So Windows 3.11. This was my first um, um, introduction to Microsoft topics. Um, and um, I was receiving the, the offer to start at Microsoft. And when I was working at Microsoft, I um, jumped into the topics about um, PowerShell security, um, PowerShell automation, identity, so how can things be automated, SCCM, Windows uh, 10, now Windows 11, um, and um, to also to gather a lot of information very quickly and to maybe also to identify security issues, to um, identify um, security gaps, um, and to present them very quickly to the customer. And this helped me a very, very a lot. Um, and I was speaking in many conferences. So I was speaking in, in Germany a couple of times in the PSConf EU. Um, and I received actually the offer from Tobias Weltner. So thanks, Tobias, if you are seeing this. Um, and uh, afterward, I was also speaking at the PSConf Asia in Singapore. And I loved it. Uh, I mean, I loved uh, Singapore, but I loved also the people, very open-minded, sharing their uh, their thoughts and their their opinions. And uh, I think this is also what makes uh, the PowerShell the PowerShell environment and the PowerShell community um, as one of the best. They are very supportive. They are very inclusive. They are very um, eager to help you. If you are willing to learn, they, they will also provide over hours in helping you. Um, and um, this helped me actually to, to grow my career. So without PowerShell, I would very likely not started my blog. I would very likely not um, accomplish to join Microsoft and to jump through my career. So PowerShell was one big, big um, topic um, in, my, in my career. I like how <laughs> no matter which PowerShell conference you go to, the EU or the one in Singapore, or it's the same story. It's not like, oh, the people here are great, but if you go to this one, they're they're garbage. It's exactly, it's, exactly. It's, um, <laughs> uh, first of all, you 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 will um, see Jeffrey's Nova everywhere. So this one is also um, uh, a typical uh, pattern. Uh, but anyways, I mean, the people are always uh, very nice and very helpful. And uh, I loved actually um, to visit the Porsche conferences. I, I was also paying for the flights and everything on my own just to visit the people because it was like a small family. Um, people uh, also afterward, after the conferences, people started to stay connected and to share information with each other. Hey, David, uh, do you have a little bit of time? Can you have a look at this? And this is something which you are not seeing in every community, honestly speaking. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's awesome to hear it because you've been there, you've done that, you, you've come out the other side. Um, very interesting. I have a question yes. about your time, you know, working um, in security, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. How prevalent 
was misconfigured environments. I mean, I, obviously, I guess if you're working and there's some issues there, but like, what's your feel after getting to be on the front lines as a consultant and other things? Like, how are how's how's the world doing? Are we all pretty far behind? Is it very far and few between the organizations who are kind of have a good grip on things? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, that's a really tough question. Um, unfortunately, I have not very good news for you. Um, so I've seen a couple of environments. Um, at the time I was um, at Microsoft, I've been very likely working with more than 50 enterprise companies um, over Europe and also partially uh, in Americas. Um, and the majority of the environments where I've been, um, we have seen uh, a very crazy number of misconfigurations. And by speaking of misconfigurations, I'm not speaking about um, medium or low issues. I'm speaking about really critical issues. Um, the one good thing um, that uh, PowerShell is able to accomplish or any automation language is able to accomplish, um, you can uh, define the policies, you can create configurational sets, you can create open source tools as they are many to help the customers to get a feeling and an understanding. Um, um, but um, the, 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 the current issue that I'm seeing and we are seeing today is the, the companies, they have so many topics on their table um, that they are not able to prioritize them properly. Um, if I'm doing um, a security assessment in a very large company and I'm doing just focusing on, on the cloud environment, this will very likely um, throw out um, more than 10,000 misconfigurations or vulnerabilities. Um, so similar level. Um, technically, misconfigurations are kind of easy to solve to a decent degree. Um, the one thing that is um, worrying me personally um, now you identify there are 10,000 misconfigurations. How do you fix them? Um, what is the priority order of them? Um, what is um, really critical and what not? Um, the, the issue is also that um, criticality, for example, from the CVEs or from the, from the configurations, they are always connected to the, the reality. So, um, for example, if you have an open RDP port um, to a system, um, this is typically critical uh, marked as a very critical issue. Uh, it shouldn't be there. Um, if there is an RDP port open or re- openly reachable from the public internet, it will directly be brute forced. And if it falls, the machine is gone. Um, the key question to answer is how important is the machine? Is the machine connected to the AD? Is it just a test machine? Whatever. And this kind of contextual information is very rarely there. So you just are seeing a huge, a large list of red items. And now you hand over this huge large list uh, to the customer. And the customer is saying, okay, I don't have 10,000 of people to cover this. Um, so what we need to do today is we need to provide the customers and help the customers so that they... Um, first of all, they don't create these misconfigurations in the first place. Um, but secondly, when they have been setting up all of these misconfigurations, to provide them a good um, guidance on how to fix them. Uh, and this is, um, I think, um, the, the most critical issue today for most of the companies. So is that, I guess, a value that going to the cloud has where you could have your front end configuration where you've got security holes, but if it's the cloud, then if they're going to stay in business, the back end at least is going to be secured the right way. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, cloud has a huge of benefits. For example, um, in on-prem environments, um, there's this joke: um, you ask how many assets do we have to the SOC, to the CISO, to the um, ID team, and everyone is um, answering you a different number. Um, and this is especially true um, in on-prem environments. Um, there's a huge benefit in cloud, um, especially in inventory and asset management. You, For example, speaking for Azure, you have KQL, you have just the queries, and you can, um, with automation, handle everything properly. Um, unfortunately, one thing happened in the past years a lot. So we had this, um, this race um, from DevOps, um, and we, we had this mentality, you run it, you build it, you own it. Um, and um, what happened in parallel was that many teams that were not really um, familiar with basic security and basic configuration or with operations at all started now to receive this authority and they started implementing something in the cloud without any control. Um, and this created in many environments a huge 
issues because they were maintaining their own environment. They didn't know how to do it. And they started building up huge issues um, over the last, I would say, three, four, five years. Um, and uh, this could have been easily mitigated with policies. Um, so you need to have kind of a policy stack that is preventing um, the, the, the worst scenarios. So this is what I always recommend to my customers. If you want to um, get a very fix, um, uh, a very fix, uh, a quick fix, so, sorry, um, then um, just um, set up policies for the worst um, cases, for the worst issues, and then you have already a, little, a minimum viable set that is covering you because these needs to be just prevented, period. Uh, but then there are a lot of things where you need to have a look into some things, uh, some exceptions you 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 want to accept, um, some exceptions you don't want to accept, and this is where you need to have a look in detail. Typically, what I was doing, um, uh, for example, at MediaMarkt Center, um, um, building up um, a cloud center of excellence. The cloud center of excellence provides the best practices. They may, maybe also they provide the templates. Um, and um, they can help all of the product teams, so the teams with seven to nine developers or um, uh, techies, let's say, um, to build up maturity. Um, I typically ask the question, how much sense does it make if we have 100 product teams and 100 product teams think about how to secure their Kubernetes clusters? It doesn't make much sense. So it makes more sense to have like one dedicated team thinking about it dedicatedly, maybe also with the expertise. So you also have the security architect in there. You have also the people there with, with experience. And they either they create um, an API. So they create an API which is consumable for the, for the product teams. So this would then be called like a platform engineering team. Um, or they create templates um, which can then be reused um, from the product teams, and these uh, templates are just pre-hardened. Um, and this is a huge benefit. And uh, speaking of the cloud, the cloud has huge benefits to do this. So technically, it's easier. Pr procedurally, and also from what happened in the past years, it's actually more complex uh, because the, there is in the cloud itself, typically there's more variants. When, when you have a look at um, legacy and uh, on-premise environments, you will very likely see a dedicated Active Directory team, a dedicated server team, and they will be like, this is my server, this is my environment, this is my GPO, and this is what I, I want to have implemented everywhere. In the cloud, it's like everyone is doing whatever they want. Um, you can be lucky to see um, hardened uh, Docker images or um, 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 uh, Docker images which um, are up to date. Um, in the cloud environment, you are happy to see um, hardened um, um, infrastructure as a service, um, so hardened virtual machines um, with the with the right security baselines, etc. Because um, the the idea or the the problem is very easy to explain. Um, just imagine you have a team or many teams with seven to nine people. And now you are telling these teams, all of these teams, you all need to properly build up something and also properly harden something. And now you just have 100 teams. What would be the normal deviation within 100 teams in terms of quality? So you have 20 teams which are doing really, really good. You have 50 teams, they are somewhere in between. And then you have um, the bottom 30 percent which are just catastrophic because the people just don't know better. So the answer to your question is um, the cloud itself is not the problem. Actually, this would be a solution. So with automation and with the cloud tools, it would be easier to harden it. But um, due to the um, um, added complexity and um, to the um, ownership of the teams, which are now able to do whatever they want to do, and no one is really having a look at cybersecurity. Actually, the complexity raised, and um, the issues also raised in the last years. So, it sounds like it's a big problem, a kind of a complex problem yeah. that requires a solution that may ch take changes to both culture and to the organization of things. Um, like really having to actually think about how you're approaching things. Cause it kind of sounds like companies could end up in the bad place you described just by the natural transition of things, right? From cool. on-prem to cloud, you just, okay, we kind of know things, but you have to, it sounds like you have to be deliberate with securing things from a policy standpoint from the get-go. And 
yeah, just kind of being deliberate about the whole cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. So typically, what I'm always recommending is the the first thing is uh, the culture. I mean, uh, changing the culture is the, the primarily always the issue. I mean, DevOps is not about technology. DevOps is primarily about culture, um, and um, provide and. What I'm recognizing still today, and um, DevOps, um, the buzzword is already out there for a couple of years, is um, the people don't um, know what DevOps really mean um, in many environments. Um, um, you, you are seeing DevOps teams, um, you are seeing um, DevOps engineers, and they are just working on the tools side, um, and um, they have a dedicated operations team. This is typically a red flag. Um, when there is a separate operations team, then someone is not doing operations, uh, the product teams. Um, and what the, the way to accomplish this is actually very easy. So you will need um, an organizational structure to build up IT maturity. So you need to explain and to train all the people on some basic things. Basic things are basic, for example, cybersecurity uh, matters and patterns as well. So everyone needs to know um, uh, that um, uh, secrets, um, they, they shouldn't be in the repository, very simple things, um, but unfortunately still very valid today. Um, they, uh, they should be knowing about the basics about um, a networking setup, um, so flat networking hierarchy versus um, zero trust hierarchy. What does actually zero trust mean? Um, this is also an issue. Um, we are just throwing um, more and more buzzwords to the people. Uh, and to the companies, but no one is really understanding what is actually now the action plan. Everyone is speaking about zero trust, but what is now the very first thing I should have a look at from a company point of view? And in my point of view, um, the uh, the environment should, uh, should set up um, a cloud center of excellence. This is always good. So you have like um, a central repository where you collect all the best practices, where you collect the templates. Um, this is also typically called an enabling team. Enabling team means um, this team will help others to improve and to grow maturity. And this is like, you can imagine like a SWAT team, you can throw to maybe problematic areas, maybe to very highly sensitive product teams, maybe to uh, product teams um, which are struggling. Um, uh, and this is one piece. Another piece would be a platform engineering team. A platform engineering team just takes the overhead from the product teams. The overhead is everything which is um, just um, unnecessary to do in terms for the for the for the product team. Um, speaking of Kubernetes cluster hardening, um, the basic platform engineering, uh, the uh, the underlining platform setups. And having these two teams already provides a good basis because now you have like um, impactful and scalable forces. Um, so you take also the cognitive load out of the product teams. Um, one issue um, typically is also the cognitive load in the product teams is too high. So there are too many topics so that they cannot focus on productivity and they are just jumping from one topic to another. The cybersecurity team is throwing cybersecurity incidents um, on them on a daily basis and they um, stop coding or worst, um, they continue coding and they start ignoring the cybersecurity topics um, and then you have like um, the, a very bad deadlock. Um, and for this, I would recommend also to having like a cybersecurity team. Um, they um, have a look at the maturity over the teams. They help the teams to improve themselves. So it's always about helping to help themselves, not doing something for them. Um, I mean, some things you can do for them, for example, compliance tests. Um, so this is uh, another team which I would recommend um, besides the security team. Um, if you have like highly sensitive products, for example, a product team that is working with payment data. Um, and then um, you have like a, a compliance team and this compliance team has only one job. It receives um, um, a request. Um, then it has a look at the architecture, how is everything implemented, how is the process looking like, what is, what is the cyber resilience process looking like, so is there um, a, 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 the data, um, um, uh, how is it called, uh, data uh, disaster recovery, sorry, uh, it's very late here, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, disaster recovery strategy for this thing, um, what is the, the blast radius for this team, um, and then doing like a compliance check and also a security check. 
and then like providing, okay, team, you are good to go. So this is the typical setup, which I typically um, recommend um, to set up in very large companies because you are then taking the best out of your people. Um, you have enabling teams, which is important. So they help the others. You have a platform team. The platform is just providing the platform and you have the product teams, which are providing the value. And all of these three together, they are working together in addition with the compliance teams, which are doing the checks from time to time. Um, and a really good recommendation from my side is um, so-called team topologies. Um, uh, we can just um, follow up or add um, the reference afterward. Um, this is a really good book, which explains about how the different teams should work with each other. So what are actually the interfaces between the teams um, to work with each other and many, many environments, they are just not knowing what their teams are supposed to do. So you have like 10 different teams. The teams, the 10 different teams, they don't know how to communicate with each other. And then you have these patterns where deadlocks arise or where they just stop um, providing any uh, value. So they, they, they are doing something, but no one is doing what is actually achieved. Um, and this is then um, easily um, uh, possible to make transparent. Um, with um, this interface. So who am I connecting with? Um, what should I provide? What is someone expecting from me? Um, and how can I provide value to the company over the long term? So, and this is for a lot of it, like with all these teams, it's clearly like enterprise. So if it's a startup, I mean, first of all, a startup, luckily they're probably not going to have the same infrastructure they got to control. So there's smaller scope, but is it just, you hope you have a rock star in there? <laughs> yeah, this, this is actually a really uh, good um, topic. Um, uh, th there are two things on startups. Um, startups, on the one hand, um, are, have a little bit less complexity. Um, so in uh, large enterprise companies, we have typically the issue that you have like this old legacy applications, you have the on-prem environment, you have hybrid cloud environments. Um, someone told now to the enterprise um, companies that it is a good idea to add also now multi-hybrid cloud to the buzzwords um, and open up three or four cloud providers to add more complexity on top of it. So for the startup field or the startups that I've been maintaining, um, this is a little bit less complexity, which is good. So they are typically working with SaaS solutions, um, connecting the SaaS solutions with each other. And then um, um, hopefully directly jumping on the cloud and working and um, establishing everything in the cloud. Um, the good thing is um, when you um, start in a greenfield environment, um, you are um, ready to use um, cloud native um, uh, possibilities. So you would directly um, work with Kubernetes-based or even um, functions as a service-based. So um, directly implemented um, functions um, in, in the cloud environment. Um, which would reduce um, the overhead, like the infrastructure overhead. But yes, um, the issue still remains. So um, what many people um, don't understand is when you are working in the cloud, it is pretty much the same as on-prem, plus you have the additional configuration layer of the cloud, which you need to have. Huh? I mean, you, you have the, for example, a virtual machine, you have also there. Um, and um, um, what is good for the startups, um, there are plenty of good guides out there. So I'm sharing plenty of them on a day-to-day -day base. There are plenty of good tools there which provide like basic hardening, basic policies, basic recommendations. Um, luckily, many of the cloud service providers in the last three, four years also started to add these policies like the SIS policies um, and many of those more into um, um, their environments. And you can, cloud, you can natively use them. So my recommendation would be use natively the policies and set up a governance model from the very first day, set up the cloud foundations correctly from the very first day. Um, and this is where the, where the enterprise companies, um, they have been struggling. So the cloud foundation speaking of is um, you set up, cloud, you set up um, a landing zone, um, you define what is the identity model, you define an airbag model, you define the principle of least privilege, and you set up everything in a zero trust approach directly in the cloud, because if you start in the cloud, um, you would start properly, and this is then doing it correctly with a zero trust approach. Um, and you also define the networks, um, which are um, 
um, maintained and used in the cloud and not just like we have been doing on-prem. So I've been seeing a lot of um, cloud environments and they have just been using um, flat networks in the cloud. So everyone is every, every machine is um, able to communicate with every machine in the cloud. Yeah, you can do it like this. Not the best idea. Um, and um, um, this is something that startups, they need to think about on the first day. Um, and these tools help them to accomplish this. But I'm totally with you. If you don't have any person um, into the topic, it can definitely be an issue. Yeah. I'd say the thinner margins make it a bit more of a risk. So enterprise can absorb all these mistakes. Yeah. I mean, not, not, it's not ideal, but for a startup, it can be a bit more. So yeah. when, when they get all the recommendations, how do they, how do you treat this? Is it something like, this is something you start working through now, or do you treat it like tech debt? Where like for this cycle, we'll try to tackle these ones and they include it within the regular dev cycle, or is it something where it needs to become its own thing where they're just trying to knock it all out constantly? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, tech debt is uh, one of the, um, I would say, top four um, painful topics um, for the majority of the companies which have been there for more than 10 years. Um, and the reason being is um, that um, tech debt is not sexy. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and this is motivating many of the IT leaders and IT managers to take the, the wrong decisions. Um, and the wrong decisions are um, the pain of today, if it's not feelable, um, we can ignore it. But the pain of today, if you ignore it, will be um, three times the pain tomorrow. Um, and um, this is, um, I would say, um, what many companies are feeling today. So I'm seeing a lot of environments um, there's so much tech debt um, where um, the investment of cleaning it up would be higher than just building it up from scratch new. And this is then the point where you as a consultant have to say to the, to the, to the company, um, I don't know what you have been doing the last 10 years here, but um, it, there have been plenty of wrong decisions. In my point of view, um, I always recommend to clean up as much um, tech debt as possible. The most elementary thing that you need to do as a company is you need to have the transparency about the tech debt. So as a, as a manager, I have to take um, uh, serious decisions from time to time, and I'm not able to make everyone happy. So um, at some point in time, I need to make the decision that I will accept the tech debt to finish the, the product um, uh, one month earlier to make our customers happy, for example. But the one thing I need to do is I need to keep a traction and a, a record, a track record of all my tech debt. I need to calculate it. And at the dedicated time, I need to invest into it. Because what happens is if I keep accumulating tech debt over time, there comes this critical point where tech debt is just killing everything. It's killing innovation. It's killing transformation. It's killing refactoring. It's uh, killing the budget. And um, what we are seeing a lot is tech debt is um, at this kind of point very high in many companies so that we actually have the only recommendation to them to build things from scratch new um, because anything else doesn't make sense anymore. I've that should been be a hard sell though. Yeah, this, this is a hard no. Um, the, the one thing uh, I've been seeing, um, one environment where it was, uh, so uh, for the business tool or the business value, the IT business value was not able to transform into a modern um, tool um, because of the tech debt. Um, so what um, the, the team started doing is they uh, started to attach, or to, to attach modern tools or modern frameworks, etc., to legacy. And um, um, you can uh, guess what happened over time. Um, so the timeline um, for the product um, increased by three times. Um, so you can just imagine they, they, they ignored the tech debt and they paid um, the ignorance uh, by three times. Um, what I would recommend is um, you... Um, um, at some point in time, you need to clean up the, the tech debt. Um, at other point in times, you can start up working other things in parallel. Um, so learning from the past, 
um, and then um, you um, start building something aside and then you start um, keeping track of your record from the very beginning um, and you don't build it up from the very beginning. I have a question about on-prem. Yeah. Is it, when does it make sense uh, from your perspective to go on-prem with things? Is there a certain scale or size um, or are you all in on the cloud all the time? Um, this is a, um, a very interesting question because um, in the past few years, um, there was this um, high motivation to move everything to the cloud. And we have been seeing a lot of um, companies uh, running cloud-first strategies. Um, and the cloud-first strategies um, are more like um, the resignation of the understanding of IT and just the fear of missing out principle. Um, so um, I don't know what is happening. Everyone is moving to the cloud. So do so do we also need to do. Um, and this is what happened very often. And the companies um, didn't build up a proper cloud strategy. Um, and the proper cloud strategy is not only about costs. Um, speaking about costs, you need to have a plan. How do you want to manage the things in the cloud and how do you want to get the maturity in the cloud? But the cloud is not only about costs. The value of cloud is agility and uh, speed and uh, so on. You, you, you guys know, but um, many of the companies don't. Um, and um, there are many, many things um, that are valid to still operate on-prem. Not everything needs to be moved to the cloud. Um, also, there is, um, I would say, um, uh, an issue with the understanding. Many companies started moving everything to the cloud and they started to quickly move to the cloud. So they started with a lift and shift migration. Uh, they started to move um, virtual machines to the cloud. And um, you know what? Um, virtual machines in the cloud, they are not um, very um, cost effective. Uh, actually, um, I would say if you start moving infrastructure as a service to the cloud, you will end up in higher costs. There are many reasons for this. The first reason is what many uh, companies just ignore, and I just need to say this, they just ignore when you move something from on-premise to the cloud, you have the on-premise costs, then you add migration costs like a consulting team, etc. Then you open up the cloud service provider. So you add the cloud service provider costs. We have now three times the costs. Um, and then you, you migrate everything. But what happens is that you don't migrate everything and the disease, they don't shut down. So you have the disease running after three, four years, you have the migration still running and you have cloud running. So you have additional load of costs and you don't know why or you don't understand why. Um, in my point of view, um, um, when you are having a look at um, large infrastructure as a service, um, Typically, the calculation is uh, better for on-premise. Um, there are typical examples. Um, so uh, for the domains, um, I would say the telco domain is a typical domain, which is um, worth looking at also having like this hybrid method, like having a um, large infrastructure as a service for legacy or for high computing stuff um, on-premise. Um, with SAP, it depends a bit. Um, in the majority of the cases I've been seeing, it was not a good idea to move SAP to the cloud. Um, but um, SAP, I would always put on the low, low prio. Uh, I would not start migrating SAP systems to the cloud on the first day. Um, and everything um, that is uh, machine learning related can also um, be better maintained on premise. So there, I've seen very recently some articles about um, large um, companies um, running machine learning farms um, on premise uh, because running them in the cloud are just not cost effective. They just need the CPU power and the memory power and uh, um, and um, I mean the the calculation power. Um, for the cloud, it makes sense if you have like. Um, variability, so agility. So if you just need to calculate today something and then you calculate um, 20 days, nothing. Um, but if you need to calculate always something, typically on-premise is always worth a look from a cost perspective. Uh, for those companies where the cloud isn't viable, it's not necessary quite yet, uh, it's always being innovated, everything in ITS, but the cloud in particular seems so. How often should they reevaluate like for I guess the only example I have for my own experience is exchange when mm -hmm. I was looking at uh, exchange 365 
the I couldn't have access to the hub transport role, which I'm a heavy, I was in a heavy regulated industry, so it didn't work for me. But now that's available, so it makes total sense to go there. So I guess how often for someone where it's a no now should they reevaluate and see if it fits? Yes, um, I would definitely say so, um, um, especially with exchange. So ex exchange would be um, always my recommendation. Move this to to exchange online. Um, Another thing which I would also um, validate is um, Azure Active Directory. Try to or have a look at uh, modern um, yeah, identification uh, identity uh, systems. Um, um, uh, typically, what we need to do is the following: um, moving to the cloud is just like one puzzle in digital transformation. So um, this is and this is very often misunderstood. Um, cloud transformation is not the story. The story is digital transformation. So why are we actually doing this? So why are we actually moving to the cloud to provide additional business value to uh, the company, to maybe um, gain more data, to build up a new business domain, or to improve um, the, the agility? Um, and this is um, just a tool. And this is also what, what needs to be understood. Cloud is just a tool in the digital transformation area. So when you are having a look now at your whole company, um, you should have a look at hybrid cloud. So what, which kind of solutions are necessary to be run on-prem? Which kind of solutions are beneficial to run in the cloud? This is the first thing. And the second thing is um, what um, cloud is really good for, and this is what it's also cloud transformation, is to run the transformations. Um, because um, moving to the cloud forces the companies to um, increase the maturity, the general IT maturity. So you have been giving the example exchange on-prem, um, AD on-prem, uh, maybe also um, uh, NTLM v2 and the old legacy protocols. Um, when you are now moving everything to the cloud, this will be beneficial for you because it helps you to transform your IT maturity to a higher level. So speaking of um, you work with modern authentication systems. Um, you um, focus the API first strategy, which is actually a really, really good recommendation. You uh, move to Kubernetes or PaaS servers. Um, I mean, you can also run Kubernetes um, clusters on-prem. Um, so when you are focusing now to keep the things on-premise, the only thing that I want to highlight is, yes, you can do this, but you should not stop investing in the IT maturity. The IT maturity still needs to be invested in. Um, and this could be, for example, setting up um, um, uh, Kubernetes uh, on-prem. And you can easily do this with um, Enforce, for example, is this possible, and with many other um, tools and, uh, as well. So I have kind of a different question because I can yes. see you're kind of passionate about this. <laughs> and so let's go back to the beginning of your career. What were you hoping to get out of it, out of your career? Like, were you just looking for a job? And compare that to now. What are your goals with your career? What impact are you trying to have? What drives you? Mm -hmm. so, so I'm very simple um, uh, to, to some regards. So I'm typically um, loving to work with people. I love to... Um, uh, grow people. So I'm typically having a lot of mentees um, and uh, to help them to grow their career. Um, and um, um, I'm a typical IT passionist. So I love to work in IT. I love to um, increase maturities. I, I love to work with customers and with people. And this is what I do. And I do it uh, because I have fun with it. And um, I'm also um, working with the people is uh, always fun. Uh, th that's very simple, very simplified me. Um, and um, in the past years, um, I've been growing up the, the, the career. So in the very first years, I started up build my technical career. So um, um, after Microsoft, I received to offer to, to join Google in the professional services team as a program manager. And I've been building up more my technical expertise. And then I started to think about, okay, um, technical career ladder is fine. Um, but I want to have a look at the, at the other side. So um, uh, to put myself always in not comfort zones, um, so uncomfort zones, so to learn something new, to understand what I actually love to do. And I jumped on the track to, to the IT manager. So I, um, I was an IT architect as at Munich Re for the whole Azure environment and for the Windows servers. And then afterward at MediaMarkt Saturn, I was leading the whole 
computing area. So this was primarily um, the whole um, um, on-premise landscape, the whole cloud landscape, all the servers in the stores um, and uh, the API management. Um, and um, it was very interesting. And the time um, was also very um, insightful for me. Um, but uh, what I personally learned is I love to work with many people. I want to have an impact in not, not just a single one company. I want to work with more companies. Um, and that's why um, I switched the sides and I moved to consultancy. Um, and um, uh, I joined a, consultant, a very uh, consultancy very recently um, as a startup. Um, where we um, focus just on cloud. And um, uh, one month ago, we just uh, built up our own startup because we think um, this, this, this area of working with people is on both sides. And what we want to accomplish is we want to build up um, an environment uh, via a Shift Avenue um, where we can provide a home to everyone who is homeless. And homeless means like consultants that are thriving to gain, to become better from day to day, that are having issues uh, with the cultures at the end customers, that are eagerly to improve themselves over and over again, and they don't want to stop um, to grow at some point in time. In many companies in Germany, um, there is a huge issue. Um, if you are like technically focused um, or an architect, um, also the architects, they are limited to a specific degree. So at a specific point, they will not grow anymore. And we just uh, we are just building up the environment for them so they can work um, with um, um, very um, interesting people, um, highly skilled people. Um, we also want to provide a community um, for everyone um, um, who is um, gaining for the best. Um, and also to um, allow them to speak on conferences, to participate in communities and all of this. So this is what we are building up. And, and for our customers, we are very simple. So the, 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 the one motivation that drives me is I want to drive value at the customers. Um, and this is what we as a company want to do. We want to um, drive the value as a customer. We don't just work, want to work with uh, for the customer. Uh, we don't we don't just want to create a project and throw it over like every consultancy does we want to um, grow the customer um, in the best case the customer will not need um, us anymore because we want to grow the maturity at the customer so what we are typically doing in our um, um, uh, consultant uh, uh, engagements um, we are working with the team from the customer. We are helping them to set some things up. Um, we are working um, on the strategic strategy level. On the strategy level, we are typically working with CIOs and CTOs. What is a good cl cloud transformation journey? What is a good roadmap for the next three years? Um, how is the current IT maturity looking like? What is the value of IT for the business? And how can we increase the value for the business more? So this is a typical painful topic for CIOs uh, because they are typically just measured in numbers, in costs, because IT is just costs. But IT isn't about costs anymore. IT is about value. Uh, IT provides value. Then we are focusing on the architectural area. So we are um, helping to set up the teams, the organizational structure on how the teams are working with each other, on how to set up a, a project management, a pro program management setup, and also on how to set up an agile methodology. So we are working in an agile methodology. We are working with a DevOps kind of um, implementation, an agile implementation with so-called feedback loops. So we always want to have like... Um, for four weeks um, of a feedback loop. So you define um, a goal, you run through it, you document it, um, you do a recap, uh, like a post-mortem, and then you have been running through one feedback loop. Then you also see, okay, what was the value of this feedback loop? Was this valuable or not? And then you can um, do the next feedback loop. And by doing so, we also directly train the people at the customer, what does it actually mean to work agile? Because we are seeing so many customers, they are just throwing to us, hey, we are agile, we are using DevOps, and then we join the teams and we are just seeing, no, you are not. Um, and um, then we, the last area where, where we um, improve our customers is the technology area. Um, and this is always um, helping the customer to implement things. So we have um, typically um, very senior people um, that help the platform teams and the DevOps or the Cloud Center of Excellence teams to set up the policies, to set up the 
the, the scripts um, to set up, I would say the cloud foundation, to set up the cloud foundation or the general cybersecurity foundation um, to work on this on their own. This is what we try to do. We don't want just to work something and throw it over the fence because um, from our point of view, this is not valuable for anyone. Yeah, I like that approach. I think it'll serve you well long-term, especially to have it be kind of like one of the core values type of thing. But I wanted, I know we're running up on time here, but I had to ask, I was checking out your LinkedIn and I was reading through it and I was like, oh my gosh, these bullet points, these summarizations are on point. I highly recommend if you're listening to this, check out David's LinkedIn. It is on point. Um, when did you learn? Because you have 68,000 followers on LinkedIn, which is congrats. That's super cool. Helping out a lot of people, sharing some great stuff. Um, but when did you start to really value that? And and I mean, have you always known and had a, like an on-point LinkedIn or did that kind of happen at a certain point when you moved into more of a leadership position? Uh, this is uh, um, actually, it's a, it's a very long-term story. So I started um, a couple of years ago um, and I still know, I still know how, how happy I was when I was having like the first thousand um, followers. Um, this was like... Uh, um, at the time at the computer center, so it would be like um, almost 10 years now. Um, and um, um, at that time, um, I started to um, share all the things. So I started blogging and I was typically um, uh, always an evangelist for uh, don't keep the things for yourself, share with the people, help the people, because then everyone is um, better in doing the, 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 the things. Um, and we don't need to keep the information just for us. Um, and with this kind of mindset, um, I started um, sharing um, very frequently um, on LinkedIn and, and on Twitter. Um, um, and over time, I started growing. Um, I always had a focus on PowerShell and security at the very beginning. Um, and now, today, I'm also sharing from time to time some leadership topics. But I'm typically always focusing on stuff that is valuable for the people. So I'm having my own personal knowledge base. I'm on a weekly base. Um, I have a mechanism built up over the last years. Um, how where to find the stuff, how to categorize it, how to categorize, uh, store it um, uh, on my machine. So I have an, an obsidian knowledge base. Um, I need to share this maybe at some point in time. It grew um, over the past years a lot. Um, and um, I just learned it by doing it. So I started very very small and I kept doing it. And what I can just recommend to the people out there is con continu continuity or what was it called? Perseverance, um, the, the English term. Yeah. Um, so just keep doing the things um, um, uh, when you start doing something because this is the thing um, which keeps you um, making the career. It's not about um, being highly um, uh, uh, intelligent, being highly um, interested in the topic. It's just about continuing to do the things. Just keep on learning, keep on pushing the things. Um, and over the past um, uh, seven years, I started to build up my own system. Um, so I have my knowledge base and everything. And I just invest, I would say, um, three hours, two hours a week um, in scheduling the stuff. So I have my own mechanism. A lot of the things are already automated. Um, and the majority of the time, I'm just reading the things. So I'm typically reading, um, searching for interesting nuggets um, and reading the things to, to keep myself up to date. And when I say, okay, this is, I would say this is good information worth sharing with the people, then I'm already directly scheduling it. And, and this is just taking me like two hours a week. Um, and I'm doing this without a huge reason. My only personal reason is I want to help the people and to share the information because it looks like it's valuable for the people. Um, and this is my only motivation. It sounds like a, a book title, Accelerate Your Career in 30 Minutes a Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some good advice there. Be consistent. Don't give yeah. up. Keep doing your next thing. That's yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So, Jordan. You got some hard-hitting questions, right? You've been kind of sitting on these ones for a while, coming up with the best you can come up with, right? The common parameters. No one's ever ready for these. Everyone's no. always nervous. But uh, if you're ready, David, we're gonna we're gonna throw the common parameters at you. <laughs> uh, what's one time something went wrong while on the job? Uh, how did you handle it, and what did you learn? 
Ja, 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 ja. Ich meine, if you don't mess up, then you do not work. Um, this is so my typical, typical story. So you will always mess up at this dedicated point in time. Um, and um, the only thing that differentiates the people is how you handle it. So I, um, at, uh, at some point in time, I wrote, a, actually, I wrote a PowerShell script at one of my customers and the customer was extremely happy with everything until this point, um, um, that everything was running very smoothly. And um, I, um, um, I learned at this point in time that version control is a good thing. Um, and it is always uh, also good to check the code before running it into production. So I was um, having um, a small mistake in my PowerShell script. Um, and I reinstalled, um, I think, more than 150 machines out of coincidence, so they flew out of the identity and we needed to reinstall them in SCCM and this was a huge mess um, and what I and it was a huge trouble. What I learned is actually, um, I learned um, yeah, version control and working professionally and not under pressure and not doing cheaty or cheesy things under pressure is really important. Even if it's um, very, very stressful and even if it's very painful. You need to keep your professionality. You need to test your code. You need to validate it. And you need to run it into a test environment before running it into production. And if someone is asking you, they don't have time, they need to make it. Um, and this is something that I learned um, and I'm um, always um, embracing my people to do. Um, don't just jump on the cheesy, low professional, low quality train because someone is telling you to do so, keep your professionality level. And um, your professionality level is, uh, the, for example, in PowerShell, um, is, is the code well documented? Is it tested? Is it uh, properly structured? Um, uh, is it understandable for everyone? Um, is it nicely debuggable? Do you um, have um, logging um, implemented? Um, these kind of things. And this is what I would always recommend to people to do. Good advice. All right. And it seems like it leads pretty well into the second common parameter. <laughs> With everything you know now, what's one tip you'd give your younger self when you're first starting out in IT? What would I give myself that I don't know? Um, uh, maybe, so I, I was always a little bit um, lacking the self-confidence. Um, uh, nevertheless, the career might look different. I was always pushing myself to the, to the highest stress levels and um, 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 being also very... Um, uh, uncalmness, if I might say this like this. Um, so if I would give my, uh, me personal advices, um, just be less stressful, um, things go wrong, keep on doing and keep on learning. Then you will be doing fine at some point in time. Very Anxiety simple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds very simple. It's not. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. All right, last one. Are you ready for this? What are your three favorite modules in PowerShell? My three favorite modules. Oh, this is a good one. Pesta, I would say, definitely, um, because I've been using this one um, very often. Um, uh, Bloodhound, um, if I might say this is a, a module. <laughs> um, and uh, what might be the third one? Uh, I'm not sure. I've been um, so I've been creating my own module, which was PS GUI, and this was um, a, a very um, lovely one for me for a very long time, um, where I was able to create um, graphical user interfaces dynamically for PowerShell for uh, DAO users. Um, so inventing highly um, a qualitative code and adding a GUI layer on top of it, which is dynamically um, being built up on top of it. Uh, and I invested a lot of time um, into this. Um, and unfortunately, this is still a topic today. So many, many, many admins are still requiring a GUI. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it helps um, the change management process. 
So you will have this uh, reluction always um, in, in large companies um, and having a GUI, um, even though it's based on PowerShell, might help from time to time. I like it. You're always allowed to use your own modules. It's always uh, press. I, I do like the idea of GUI, not so much for the, the DevOps side, but sometimes you need user input in some way, and it's a great way to capture. Exactly. Actually, also the visualization very often is very helpful. I mean, um, um, just uh, showing something into a nice graph or into a nice table um, helps up um, a lot of the things, and this can help there. David, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're actually in the presence of greatness. Uh, Andrew is the foremost authority on shilling a product. Oh. Uh, he, he actually, he has people offering him millions of dollars just to teach seminars on shilling, oh. but he, he won't do it. He saves it all for right now with the PowerShell podcast. No pressure. He, he puts yeah, him under no pressure. Um, I always knock it out the park. I've never made a mistake on one of these. But hey, listeners, thanks for listening. David gave us some awesome advice. Hopefully you can apply it to your organization and make some really important changes. I mean, that advice about your topologies and the teams. Um, I think you mentioned a book, David. We'll definitely make sure to get that in the show notes because that is some huge stuff. Like priceless, right? You have many salaries on the line that might be doing things in an inefficient way that's not going to get you to the place where you're trying to go. Um, but amazing episode, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for listening. If you're on Apple Podcasts, write us a nice little review. Give us a five-star thing. Next time we do a duo cast, we might read your review out loud. If you're on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, leave us a comment telling us what your favorite PowerShell module is and what your favorite command is this week. Not last week, just this week. Um, you can find us on Twitter at PowerShellPod. You can email us, PowerShell at PDQ.com, and we will answer every single question you've ever had. Jordan, am I missing anything? Are we good? I think, I think you got it. Awesome. Perfect. Then thank Thanks you very joining. much for, for having me. It was really nice. And then um, I'm looking forward to the feedback. Bye-bye. Absolutely, yeah, it should be live on Monday, but thanks for staying up late to talk to us. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. What's the matter with you guys? <laughs> the PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.